<laughs> How about I pray for us? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. We uh, just thank you so much that you've given us your word and you've given us your spirit, uh, that you haven't left us alone, uh, but um, yeah, you've given us those resources to help us know and be able to live the Christian life. And I pray that today, uh, just as Andrew and I share some of our story and we have some discussion together, that we'll continue to learn together uh, just how we can go about most effectively reaching out for you and helping others come into your kingdom and experiencing your great love. Amen. So the title that we were given for this session is Reaching Others Through Hospitality. And... uh, I think in our society, we often think of hospitality as just being that, you know, having people over in your home, being, being friendly to, to guests and so on. But the word that's used in the Bible uh, for hospitality is actually um, from the, the Greek words philo, meaning, you know, friendship, love, and um, zania, I believe it is, which is strangers. Um, is it zania? No, it's... Anyway, yeah. Xenia, I think, is perhaps a more correct pronunciation. Um, so it's basically a love of strangers. So this is talking about kind of, you know, reaching out to people who aren't really in our inner circle, um, not just, you know, having the in-laws over for dinner. Uh, this is kind of opening our home to those who maybe we feel a little less comfortable about. Um, but then, of course, when you do that, then they do become friends. And so... Uh, it perhaps moves on from there. So we're just going to share, as I, as I mentioned, we're just going to share some of our story and our experience, uh, not as this is the cookie cutter for you to follow, but just some, maybe some inspiration of what God can do uh, when, we, when we open up our homes. So for us, uh, where it probably really started was when we actually left Brisbane uh, in 2003. Our church had just gone through Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life in our small groups and, and uh, in the wider church. And I'd realised from that that one of the areas I was really weak on was you know, connecting with non-Christians. And I always complained to God that he gave me an evangelistic heart without the evangelistic gift. So anyway. Um, and so we moved to Toowoomba and... We would kind of thought we really wanted to do a better job of that than we'd done in Brisbane. It was a chance to start over. Uh, and so we certainly did make some efforts. But eight years on, when it was we were moving back to Brisbane, still probably, you know, hadn't gone as far, anywhere near as far as we would like in terms of having, you know, non-Christian friends and, and connecting. We'd certainly tried a number of things. Uh, but it was still very much on our heart. And so we were praying, as we were praying about where to move to in Brisbane, uh, just asking God for some things. And we said, you know, we would really love to move to a street where there are other families uh, that we might be able to connect with them because we, we didn't have families on our you know, street where we lived in Toowoomba. And we even specifically prayed, you know, Lord, a cul-de-sac would be really good because it just is easier to have community uh, on a cul-de-sac from what we'd observed. And very Amazing story of how we ended up in the house that we did. Um, probably one of my most clear experiences of God guiding and, uh, yeah, it was quite quite amazing, but we won't go into that. We did end up buying a house on a cul-de-sac and there were uh, children on the street. 
In fact, we had the moving van on our driveway. The guys are unloading our furniture. And Jonathan is giving a tour of our house to three boys from the street. So... (laughs) That was my first experience of the neighbours and I'm thinking, where are their parents? Uh, You know, if uh, people were moving in near us, I would be curious, of course, but saying to the children, let's just let them get settled in, then we'll go over and meet them. But that was kind of, uh, I guess, just the sort of the blueprint for how things went in in our neighbourhood ministry there. So next door to us was a, a family with three children, two boys and a girl. Then the house next to them had a teenage boy. Uh, He was probably about Cassie's age, so yeah, they're probably only about 13. And then a few houses further down the street, there was another boy in upper primary. And right from the get-go, they just, yeah, were happy to come around. Jonathan, as you probably, you know, if you've met him, he's fairly gregarious and uh, likes to, to make friends and makes friends pretty easily. And so he just welcomed them and the kids would come around and play and they would be around and they would be around. And so it was actually quite challenging for me at the start because even though I'd prayed, Lord, we want to, you know, have family, kids on the street, we want to get to know people, uh, want to have an open home, I didn't really want my home to be this open. And, you know, I'd have these internal battles. Should I send them home? Uh, yeah, it just, it really pushed my comfort zone in those early, well, more than more than weeks, probably, probably took me a few months, I think, to get used to it. And so these kids would be playing at our place after school and I'd be making dinner and then dinner would come and they'd still be there and uh, and so it was not uncommon for us to be eating dinner and a couple of kids have just pulled up chairs and they're at the, sitting at the table you know talking to us and and so we did I did actually you know be kind and invite them to dinner a number of times uh, and so we yeah we would sometimes have them invite them for dinner sometimes it would be a few sometimes it would just be one of them um, sometimes yeah, they'd be there and not actually eating with us. So they hadn't been invited, but they were kind of welcome to stay. Uh, and then after dinner would be, it's our practice to have a family devotion. And they'd been there over dinner, either invited or just hanging around. And so they would join us for family devotions. And that was just a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. Over time, they started to join in. So we would you know, do our what if our little Bible reading was or whatever and talk about that and then we would pray. And I think at that point our family devotions would generally, we would go around the circle and pray. And over time, the different kids started joining in to pray. So they weren't believers yet, but they they were joining in. So first I think it was the, the oldest one who lived right next to us and then, you know, his youngest sister and, and eventually... All the kids on the street uh, would be there and pray. And in fact, even if the kids weren't at our house when we were having family devotion, it, it became a thing where we somebody would just go to the door and holler out, you know, devotion. And the kids who were playing, you know, who weren't at our house but were just playing on the street, uh, some of them would come up. <laughs> and so... Uh, there were also times when we would actually have another 
somebody else around for dinner, some uh, friends from church or something like that, and we'd be sitting there having a chat with all of our family and our kids around lunch or dinner or that sort of stuff, and a couple of kids from the neighbourhood would wander across the back patio past <laughs> where we were eating and, and go and play table tennis or use our cubby house, and these friends of ours would be going, who are they? <laughs> oh, it's just the neighbours, it's okay, <laughs> sort of thing. Well, they would come in and, and just join in and sit and chat and that sort of stuff, so it was... It was wonderful and it was strange and it was weird and uh, and it was great. So Yeah. So for us it was a just – it was very organic. Uh, it came about, I think, largely because their families were – at least two of the families I think, you know, I could definitely say were dysfunctional and the other family just – they just don't do life and family how we do family. So, you know, they didn't even have a dining table. Like, So I think for the, the kids, they would come and just us sitting down together to have a meal at a table was kind of foreign but kind of nice. You know, Andrew is often the one asking the kids, you know, what was the best thing about the day and what was the worst thing about the day? And, you know, they would join in on that. And so it was this different experience of family for them as well. Uh, we... We did try to do some more overt things. So the very we moved in just after Australia Day, uh, and then that Easter we ran a neighbourhood Easter egg hunt, and so uh, we used the resurrection eggs, which have little symbols, little things inside them that tell the story of Easter. So we had the kids hunt for chocolate eggs and also some of those, and then they came back into our lounge room, and Andrew talked through the the. Easter's message, they would bring up their little resurrection egg in turn and open that up and, oh, what's this part of the story and, and share that and they got a chocolate egg to replace the, the fact that they'd just found one of the, the, the duds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, and then the following year we did the same thing but that time we got Cassie to be the one to go through the, the message of Easter as part of our way of discipling her in training her up in ministry skills. Uh, oh, there was another family as well. I'm forgetting. So there were also another family who had two younger children. So they, they didn't come and hang out, but they were a part of things like that that we would do. Over time, uh, primarily through the family devotions, and then we would the kids would invite the neighbours to church. So they were coming to church and getting involved in Sunday school, on and One off. One of the advantages like of having a van, you can always fit in a couple of extra kids to go to church. Yeah, so uh, it, it wasn't like they were coming every week, but they, were, they would come sometimes. And uh, one Christmas, we were doing a series that are called Adornaments. No, not those ones. The uh, uh, What God Wants for Christmas. And there's part of our family seven little presents and they open them up and they've got a, you know, the first one's about the angel and you hear about the angel coming announcing to Mary and so on. It tells the Christmas story. And then the last one uh, has a mirror in it and the idea is that, you know, you are what God wants for Christmas. And it was through that that the three who, children who lived closest to us then chose to pray to receive Christ, uh, which was really special. And we were able to give each of them an age-appropriate Bible 
Uh, we checked with their parents that they were okay. That we gave them a Bible. Yeah, sure. They knew we were coming over. They were coming over and reading the Bible. They'd come home and tell them things. And Actually, yeah, that's right. When I went and checked with their parents, I said, "Oh yeah, sure. They love it going over there and you, your family Bible reading thingy." And they come home and they tell us all about it. Like, oh, really? <laughs> Great. <laughs> so. Uh, so, yeah, and then eventually to um, one of the other boys on the street um, prayed to receive Christ. I think that was about Easter, the following Easter after the other kids had. And then the, the teenage boy, he kind of seemed to indicate that he had made a previous commitment at a youth group. Certainly hadn't been walking with the Lord and so I think being around our family and getting involved in things kind of renewed a bit of a faith in him. Uh, so do you want to talk about the lads group now or should we talk about some of the other things we did in the neighbourhood? Then, Okay. So the parents were basically non-existent. We did when we moved in, we made a point of inviting each of the families over for a meal and trying to get to know them. But we have a, a very pleasant neighbourhood and chat very friendly to people when you see them, but never really went anywhere with any of the parents. Uh, so far. So far, that's true. Uh, we did initiate a couple of other things, more at the relationship building rather than we're going to try and shove the gospel down your throat point. So we would make the opportunity of Christmas and Easter, which are events that just, you know, secular people are, you connect with others, you know, you have your work Christmas party and things. And so we initiated a neighbourhood street party. So we would just go around and check with people when was a good day. We'd bring the barbecue down to the footpath and people would bring some chairs and their sausages or whatever and we would have dinner together. And over the years, that's actually become a little bit more, I don't know, just sherry, like it was, you know, first you'd bring your own dinner kind of thing and now it's like, oh, we've got chips, you know, just, you know, are we sure everybody have some? And yeah, Which is great because there are a few different nationalities on our street so we get to enjoy some it was really a bit more communal, culturally different food. And then great. Easter was another thing. So not every year but a number of years at Easter time we've just bought hot cross buns and made hot cross buns and just invited people up for afternoon tea or morning tea to have some hot cross buns and... It's just another chance to sit around and have a chat and stay connected. Uh, If people would move into the neighbourhood, we've had a a little bit of movement um, with people on the street. So always make an effort to go and knock on their door and introduce ourselves, take them a plate of biscuits, uh, things like that. Uh, Yeah, try to have them over for dinner if we we can. Uh, So that's, yeah, that's the main things that we've done Maybe if you talk about the lads group and then I'll sure. talk about some of my wider. Sure. Um, so with the, the kids in the street who had um, indicated a, a decision for Christ or a recommitment, that sort of thing, um, they kept coming to our family devotions at night. And so our, our devotions kind of turned from being just a, a general Bible study for our kids uh, and then a bit of kind of evangelism where we do the, the resurrection eggs or the um, what God wants for Christmas stuff. Uh, actually turned into kind of follow-up uh, material um, in our devotions. And then after we'd finished that, I, I specifically wanted to um, 
pour more into the the older kids on the street. Um, so I was thinking of my son Jonathan, but also um, uh, the the teenage. Anyway, the three older. Uh, boys on the street and so the four of us the four kids and I actually invited somebody else that we knew who was definitely a Christian just to kind of um, keep them on track so yes. to speak uh, change um, the culture you know the one group. of those kind of good responsible kids who just help <laughs> shift help the balance and of the culture group. of the group but anyway there, there were these um, what's that five uh, young teenage boys and myself and uh, and we just we just called our little group the the lads group and we would get together each week and just talk about the Bible and life. Uh, we'd play table tennis. Uh, we did some fun activities like going and climbing up Mount Kutha one night by uh, by moonlight. Um, I taught them how to change a, a tire on a car, which some of them had never done, and a few bits and pieces like that. But often it was just get together and. Um, play table tennis and, and kind of share how our weeks had been, have a look at a passage in the Bible, pray together, pray for one another sort of stuff. And, um, and that went on for more than a year. Um, and it was sometimes fantastic and sometimes a bit like pulling teeth. Um, but on, all, on the whole, it, it seemed to be really good. They were growing. Um, and then after a while, it, it kind of just had its day it, it sort of petered out the boys didn't seem to be all that interested anymore and so I just kind of let it go and, and that was okay uh, but interestingly just uh, a month or so ago the two of the boys from that group who were still on our street um, actually came up to our place and, and they came up to I mean they're always welcome there but they came up to me and uh, and said Mr Brian could we start the lads group again uh, which was just great it, it turned out Particularly, one of the lads had come along to our church family, uh, sorry, our church youth camp a couple of weeks before, and that had been just a wonderful experience of encountering God again for him. And he'd been reading his Bible every day since then, and he was just gobsmacked that God seemed to be speaking to him through the Bible, just um, passages which were very relevant to him each day, a few days in a row, and he was just, he was growing. And he wanted more, and he thought of us and asked, can we start the lads group again? So um, so we've just started that up again a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and I'm actually taking them back to some early follow-up material just to make sure of some of the grounding in their faith. But the follow-up material I'm using is actually quite pointed in its accountability and, and practice. So the very first lesson that we did had a look at the gospel just to make sure people are... Um, understanding the gospel, but it also talks about sharing the gospel. So they wrote a list of five friends that um, they're going to be sharing the gospel with over, uh, over between now and then and when we get together next. So it's it's pretty strong practice and accountability sort of stuff. So, um, so we'll see how that goes. So that, that's been a fun journey just to see those guys over the, the past few years grow. One of the ways that I've tried to put in practice uh, some of that stuff Andrew was talking about this morning about being a sent one is just being on the lookout for opportunities to connect with people when I go for my walk every morning so I do the same route unlike you know the parks I'm not jogging and super fit and fast so you know not zooming past people uh, so I've gotten to meet some people and have conversations with them over over the years, I don't necessarily see them every morning, uh, far from it. 
one of the experiences that I had with that was meeting an elderly lady who I was fairly sure had dementia, but not not entirely sure from the, the first conversation. Uh, just wasn't sure if it was... She has, she's Russian and had a strong accent and so didn't know if it was language issues or... And I couldn't quite work out what her living situation was, whether she lived alone and if she did have dementia, I was a little nervous about that. And so I was just kind of kept an eye out when I go past the property. She was How only... Put a bin out, that sort of thing? No, no, no. She was only ever out... She was well once and then... And she, like, she invited me into her home that time. And then another time, again, that I, I had a, a conversation with her. And then some months later, I noticed that the place was up for sale and I didn't know what had happened, whether she'd moved um, into, you know, was moving into a nursing home or whether she'd died. And I finally just, one day I happened to drive past and there was a guy in the front yard. And so I just pulled over and stopped to say, oh, I just want to know what's happened. And it turned out it was her son. Uh, so he's in his 60s. Uh, it gives us an idea of how, you know, how old she was. And... Yes, so she'd had a fall. She'd been in hospital. She was still in hospital um, with the the break. And I, I ended up going, you know, he told me where and I went to visit her with the children and uh, just tried to, you know, kind of connect with her a bit. Uh, but I'd given my number to, to him and just said, if there's anything I can do to help, because um, he was there looking after the place and I think in that very first conversation, I found out he'd had a heart operation. So I'm like, <laughs> you know, he's trying to mow the lawn and things. I think, you know, keep the place looking nice to be able to sell it. And I thought, gosh, you know, and we have a ministry in our church called Street Teams that comes and helps people with stuff like that. You know, if they've had an operation, helps them do some yard work or clean windows or whatever. So I, I said, you know, if you want something done, please, here's my number and call me. Well, he did call a few days um, no, maybe a week later, to say that his mum was now coming out of hospital, coming back home. So, okay, thank you. That's great. And ended up pouring out a whole bunch of stuff about his life. And it's really sob story. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, what have I got myself in for? You know, this needy, needy person. Um, but anyway, yeah, on my walk again another time, saw him out the front, you know, said g'day. Turned out his mum had become aggressive and it had to go back into hospital. They were trying to get her into a nursing home, but until they sold the house, they couldn't and the hospital's pressuring them because they want to. So he was stressed about that and stuff about how his sister had ripped their mum off and just one thing after another. Um, and I just, I said to him, can I pray for you? And he just... He teared up and he said yes. And so I just prayed for him then and there, uh, standing at, the, at his gate. So it, it's not exactly, you know, hospitality. He <laughs> hadn't come to my place. Uh, but, you know, I was just trying to show him some of the same kind of love that I would show to people if they did come to my house. Uh, I was a bit pressed for time to, to get home. I left him with a, a, a paper copy of the Knowing God Personally booklet that, you know, you, some of you downloaded this morning. And I think in that conversation, I can't remember if it was that conversation or another time I asked him if he'd like to come to church and he, and he said yes. And so Bill started coming to church with us. We would pick him up um, and, and bring him to church. And it got to the point where it was like, we really just need to have a better conversation with him about where he's really at with God. And so I kind of 
passed over to Andrew at that point. Oh, he's a man. You're a man. You do that stuff. So, uh, so Andrew did. You want to take it from there? Yeah, or? just <clears throat> just one um, one afternoon after work, or I came home early from work. I think it was. I I went over. I'd arranged to go yeah, and meet right. him because yeah, I was about to head away for a couple of weeks or something, and I just really wanted. To, I just had this thing in my head. I don't want to go away and find out that he dies while I'm away or something like that. <laughs> let's do this. Uh, let's let's share the gospel and give him a chance to respond to that before I go. So I kind of phoned him up and, and said, hey, I can come home early from work this afternoon. Are you free? Can I come around and just share this really important message? Um, and we'd had some preliminary chats in the car on the way home from church anyway. And he was keen. So I did that. And I just went over to his house and uh, at his dining room table over a coffee, just went through the Knowing God Personally booklet with him. And uh, and he understood it, he got it, um, he'd had some previous experience with Christianity but hadn't put it all together uh, as neatly as the Knowing God personally does and when it got to the point of what do you want to do about this, you know, do you want to become a citizen of the kingdom, uh, he said yes I want that and, uh, and so he prayed to receive Christ right there in, in his kitchen with me which was a wonderful experience and, um, and yeah and then I was Okay, to go away on my trip, knowing that, yes, he was in the kingdom and he could die if necessary, <laughs> whatever. But uh, he hasn't. Uh, he's continued to, uh, to come along to church with us um, for a while. Mm. Yeah, and um, he, he lost his license at part of that time. Uh, and so, you know, he was very much needing us to, to take him to church. And so that was just a way we were continue, you know, continuing to um, connect with him. Um, you know, we'd had him over for lunch a couple of times as well after church. And so, uh, and I, I think something that really heartened me uh, recently, he's, they've sold the house and his mum's in a nursing home and uh, he, he's, so he was kind of homeless and he's moved up to be with his sister on the north side of Brisbane. And, but his doctor is, just very close to it, you know, not far from where we live. And he had uh, come come for an appointment with his doctor and he just, one night, just, yeah, well, it was that night he'd been to the doctor and then he just came by and dropped in to, to say hello. And I just, it was very heartening to me because I've that's always the kind of atmosphere I've wanted to have in our home that people would feel like, yes, you can you can drop by. I, I might have to say, look, I'm just about to rush out to an appointment, but that people would feel like they can come by. Uh, and so that was, yeah, that was really special to me that he, he did feel that he could do that. So, and he's, yeah, he's he's so keen to get baptised, but he's got a couple of m- medical conditions at the moment that need to get sorted out before he can actually go and get dunked under the water. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you can pray that God sorts those out for him. Gosh, he's had a hard life. Anyway, so... Yeah, so that's that's just some of the story of what God has done. Uh, it really has been God. We've just got to go along for the ride. Um, it's been been so exciting. Now I think we really wanted to just open it up for for any questions or if people have got specific ideas of their own that well, this is what we've done or this is what we've been thinking about. So, open floor now. It used to be known as Kenmore Baptist Church. It's just been renamed to River Life. Yep. Uh, 
Why, Daniel? For me, I think the big thing was just working on my own attitude, not being a control freak, not having to make the rest of the world fit with the way I want to operate. So in my perfect world, you know, the mothers would come over and say, <laughs> okay, so our children seem to like coming and spending time at your pl place. What, what kind of boundaries should we have and all this sort of stuff? Well, you know, those kind of conversations never happened. Uh, and... And I had to work through, well, do I want to have some boundaries? Do I need to have some boundaries? Because it's not wrong to have boundaries. Uh, they, they are what keep us uh, serving God well in the long haul. So please do not hear me saying, oh, look, just have people come and invade your house every moment of the day. I'm, I'm an extrovert, so I'm energised by people. So And the kids would just pretty much play outside and play with one another. They got on well. It wasn't like I you know, was having disputes I was having to sort out every minute of the day. Uh, but for me, I think one of the intentional things I did is just in those early stages, okay, God, you know, what do I do here? Do I just be nice and let them stay? <laughs> and uh, I've had to learn to be more generous and hospitable. So um, I've had to train my children that, okay, if you want to invite somebody over for dinner you need to ask me early enough and you don't ask me in front of them <laughs> so uh and you ask mum first before you ask the child yeah that's right check with mum if mum says okay and and yeah for me just not to be uh i don't know i don't know what it is with me but i kind of have this again you know like you yeah, already, they already came over twice last week again. Uh, but, well, why not? Why not again? You know, is it just a bit of this? I think I have a bit of a no mentality. I like to say no a lot. I don't know. I'm just a grump or something. Uh, so that was something I did. We also had to have conversation. I remember having a conversation, just the two of us early on, about what do we do if these kids who haven't been brought up with some of the... Um, moral uh, guidance that we've given our kids are coming into our home all the time what, what happens if our stuff starts disappearing you know what happens if our stuff gets broken <laughs> are we okay with that and we had to have this conversation of you know what it's just wonderful that these kids are coming here and they're hearing about Jesus and they're interacting with us and with our kids and and getting a taste of heaven and the love of Jesus so Whatever God, bring it on. But we had to have that conversation and, and say we are going to be okay if our, you know, precious silverware disappears one day. Okay. Um, we so never had, that, that, we never had that problem. Well, we never had precious Thankfully. silverware. We did, have anyway. a few other, we did have a few other things. So yeah. um, I think intentionally we had to follow Jesus' teaching. So uh, one of those kids on the street actually bullied Jonathan, uh, I have a photograph still, I found it recently on the computer, of the hand mark across his back from 
the slap. Uh, and, you know, the mothers in the room know the mother bear rises up when, when, when the cubs are attacked. Uh, and so, but for me to just have to work through what, what does Jesus say we are to do? Well, he says we're to love our enemies, you know, and so praying with Jonathan, tucking him into bed, okay, help us to love this child, help us to forgive this child. But then going, as the scriptures say, go and talk to the person. And so Andrew and Jonathan went and had a conversation with him and his dad uh, about this. And, you know, there were some conflicts that happened in the yeah the street with the boys over the years and just continuing to to teach our kids what it means to really follow Jesus that you don't just give up when somebody's mean to you you've got to keep loving them and what does that look like and and what does that look like if you do need to put some boundaries in place to be to be safe but to still be to be loving them Uh, and I think we've just really seen that persevering love um, that particular child had a whole bunch of stuff going on in his family at that time and for you know ongoing period and it was a real time of turmoil for him and I think other kids on the street copped it and I think our family copped it a little bit and I think it was some of that I'm sensing love from you how how far (laughs) is it really love like if I push push you and I offend you are you still going to be loving and I think by God's grace we were able to be faithful in loving him and that was actually quite a significant he's never come and said to us oh wow but I just have this sense that uh, us being able to keep loving him when he was difficult um, <laughs> yeah has been has been good he's yeah and he's just kept he's had some times he's pulled away from us but then he's come back again and and we've prayed so we wouldn't when they were there, we weren't praying. If they were at devotions, we weren't praying for their salvation, but we were the times they weren't. Um, so I think those are some of the things. Just choosing done. to engage with people. So, you know, when you when you get home from work and somebody else is in their front yard across the street or next door, you say hi. You ask how their day is. Um, you just choose to engage rather than disappear into your house and, uh, and do your own thing. Um, using those... Uh, culturally appropriate times of the year so christmas and easter hey let's do a neighborhood um gathering for before christmas you know it's a accepted cultural thing to do but let's make it happen in our street and um and actually work through people's calendars and and figure out a date and actually make it happen and organize it um the the easter um yeah the hot cross buns and the the Easter egg hunts and, and that sort of stuff. That, that takes effort, it takes initiative, but it's choosing to, to shine the light in that environment and it's a, it's a choice, a deliberate thing. Um, mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, so the question was, what about our children going into other people's homes? So... Uh, we've tended to probably very much te- lean towards the the more sheltering end of things when our children are younger. So we want to be their influences in their life and we want to protect them and it 
I've just read and heard too much about all sorts of things. And so because I didn't have much of a relationship with the other fam- the parents and I wasn't kind of sure, you know, you just kids go there to play and the television's on in the background and things like that. Well, what's on in the television? You know, what's stuck up on the, you know, the back door of the toilet wall? If, if I hadn't been invited into their homes and been able to suss that stuff out, my kids didn't go. And that's probably some of why our home became such a hub <laughs> was because I wasn't kind of letting them go until they got to a point where I just thought they've got an, I, I trust them. They've got some discernment. Uh, you know, we would have conversations about, you know, it was particularly Jonathan was the forefront because there weren't any girls for Cassie. Um, so it was really him leading the way. And, you know, we had conversations about, okay, well, like if the television's on, it's, it's okay if the television's on in the background, but if it's something that shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't be watching, what are you going to do about that? And talking through how, how do you handle that? You know, do you just suggest, or how about we go and play in your bedroom or, or you know, kind of make up some excuse. Let's go outside Let's now go and outside, play, yeah. play a new game or, or whatever. Or what if there's somebody there, you know, that you don't know, you know, if they've got other guests over. So we just talked through a few of those scenarios. I want – it's not at all our our desire to shelter our children exclusively. Uh, we just – just like when you've got a new baby, you want to protect – you know, before they can be immunised from everything, you want to protect them from diseases. And if there's an outbreak or something, you just keep them at home. You know, and as they get older and their own immune system is developed, well, then they're able to withstand those things. And so we've tried to do a bit of that just – as they get older and they, their own faith or their character is old enough to withstand some of those things or just know how to handle it in a wise way, then we've given them more more freedom. And so, um, or just guidelines like, you know, so my Peter, who's, he's eight, um, he had the sweetest relationship with the girl next door. They were just best buddies and she, she's about 18 months older than him. It was just it was just, I don't know, it was, it was gorgeous. Um, and so he would, you know, want to go over and play with Bella. And, but at that point, it was still, if you're going to go over, just play in the yard. So just because, you know, his his own character and discernment yet wasn't there. Um, so, you know, obviously if I was there, you know, if the mum had invited me over for coffee, sure, we'll all go and, and that. But, yeah, that's how we handled it. That's a great question. Yeah. So the question was, did we have to give up much in terms of extracurricular stuff to be able to be home and things like that? Not for that reason. So we have been cautious about getting involved in too much extracurricular stuff for a kind of work-life family balance issue. So... uh, yeah, we don't. We, we're certainly not a family who packs up every afternoon with with stuff, and so we just tended to be be home for a lot of stuff. And then again, things that would be on, we'd often just take the neighbourhood kids if we could. And so, uh, yeah, when we 
we had an eight-seater van and then we were considering getting another one. This is when we were still in Toowoomba and we were like, do we get an eight-seater? You know, it's, it's plenty enough for us. But, you know, if Andrew's parents come up from Sydney, like we don't all fit in and, you know, my parents, you know, it's just nice if you can take them. And so we ended up getting, you know, a van like the one we've got now. And honestly, that has just been such a blessing for ministry. Um, you know, sometimes it's been take another family with three kids you know the mum's sick and I could pick those kids up I had the space in the van and take them and look after them for the day in Brisbane it was okay going off to basketball on Saturday who's coming <laughs> take a few extras along just doing doing life with us so so yeah I think our lifestyle facilitated what you know I've described but it wasn't so much a proactive choice to for that reason, for the outreach reason. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would look at whether you could, depending what time they're over, but whether you could plan to have afternoon tea and kind of make a bigger deal of that. So not just, okay, grab your apple and crackers and run off and keep playing, but hey, let's all sit down at the table. We're gonna gonna have a, you know, I don't know, set the tablecloth out even make it a high tea you know <laughs> put a flower in the middle or something and and maybe ask like see if you could find some questions that get kids talking not necessarily spiritual stuff at the start um but just opening up you know what's the best thing what's about your day you know or, i don't know where's your favorite room in your house and things like that and then some of those questions could become, you know, maybe you could do this once a week, not necessarily every afternoon. Yeah, definitely not every afternoon. Um, <laughs> who's got time for that? Um, <laughs> that's right. But, you, you know, where because we're just in a, it becomes a culture to ask these interesting questions. You know, you could even get the kids to write questions. And where, but where they know you want to, you've modelled it kind of, we're not just asking what's your... Oh, they could ask, what's your favourite colour jelly bean, I guess, you know. <laughs> but then you could you could put some kind of spiritual questions in. I'm sure there's probably a plethora. <sighs> there's a book. Somebody did a seminar on it. Well, she was on a panel on evangelism at our recent staff conference. No, two staff conferences ago. And she mentioned a book that she's got about questions. And a lot of them are just those kind of thought-provoking ones, but then there are some that lead into spiritual stuff. She does it with, she works with youth kids, but she just said this has been a great tool for her. I can maybe see if I can find out the name of that book and get get the word spread on that. Um, so that might be something you could kind of do regularly just to get conversation going and see where the Lord leads that. Another thing I would suggest doing is seeing if you can make the most of those seasonal opportunities. So... Depends on the ages of the kids. What what ages are you dealing with? Okay, great. Perfect. So the resurrection eggs are awesome. Um, yeah, maybe coming up to Christmas, look at getting something like the what God wants for Christmas things. Or this I mean, there's other evangelistic things you can get off the web um, that you can do yourself and kind of, you know, hold it as a one-off or a a series of, you know, we're going to have these three things. We'll make some Christmas craft and talk about the Christmas story and just make it, maybe make it a bit formal. And then depending how that goes, you know, possibly even 
look at having a weekly or a fortnightly Bible club in your home. Um, so that's, you know, something I'd kind of always had visions of doing. And, but yeah, God just made it a bit easier for me because he knows I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I think some of it for us, I mean, we, we mentioned that um, kids would come over, they'd play and then they'd hang around for dinner whether they were invited or not. And that would just flow into our devotional time. Uh, I, I think it was just um, we were doing evangelism and building relationship in the context of just doing our normal family. But our, our normal family had that stuff built into it. So we were doing devotions with the kids at a time when other kids might might be around and could be around. Um, we hadn't actually planned it that way. Uh, but looking back, I realized, yeah, that was just good that we had built some things into our family routine that were attractive and open and could be used to to talk with other kids about the gospel. So, mm. do, do any of those kind of ideas help? So, it's a great, yeah, because it's nice when it just happens naturally, but it doesn't always. And I think that's one of the things too, when I think about the efforts we've made with the adults, it's always us initiating. Not, I mean, obviously we need to be the ones initiating any gospel kind of work, but even just to get together and have a Christmas meal, even though it's become a tradition, it's always us making it happen. And that's, you know, because Christ's love compels us. We could do without organising another event in our lives, but we just want to have another excuse to keep trying to build those relationships. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I can very much relate. Yeah. And so you've you've got the opportunity though at the moment where imagine the other families probably don't just want to let their little ones run free either. And so to start just yeah you know, even if you have to get in the car and drive around, you know, the block to get to that house behind you to knock on the door and say, oh, okay. <laughs> Dodgy fence, crawl through. Um, <laughs> and just say, yeah, love to have you over, you know, for a play date with the kids when would suit. Uh, I always say to people, if I don't know them very well, I actually quite explicit about this. I did this recently with somebody who even was a Christian family and I just said, look, I like to make it short at the, the first visit because then if our kids really hit it off, 
um, and they're begging us at the end, oh, can't we stay longer? Well, then we know that's great. They've hit it off. And so we can make it, you know, another time. But if we make it too long at the start, it can be a bit uncomfortable for them if, you know, and, and it's that'll be difficult if, well, if we turn out to like one another and the kids have gotten turned off. And so I, <laughs> so I just kind of have this upfront thing about, I'm just going to make it short this time. And, you know, and then if it's, you know, 45, anybody can endure 45 minutes or an hour of trying to make small talk if it's, you know, agonising. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> you can. All right. <laughs> and just take it, you know, from there. And then, and then I'd be, I'd be having those conversations up front too. If you are like, yeah, I'm happy to have your kids over, but just for both our sanities, you know, it might be good if we could agree on something so the kids aren't always pestering us and, you know, I don't want my kids to be, you know, oh, I don't know, just figure out what your ground rules are and maybe propose something that works for you because most people I don't think have thought about that. So you can do the thinking first and kind of set the agenda to something that works for you would be a thought. Daniel. Thank you. Yeah. Hire some. <laughs> yeah, seriously, that could be an option, you know. Gosh. What person's not gonna yeah, what person's not gonna love you if you offered her, you know, mind their kids so they can go out for a night or something? <laughs> I'm sure that'll give you ins to sharing the gospel. That's a great point, Daniel, and I really thank you for raising that because I certainly don't want anybody to feel like, you know look, even if you've got kids, this is our story of how God chose to work through us and God's got a story of how he wants to choose to work through you. And so I can't write that for you. You can only write that with God yourselves. Um, I think our society is craving hospitality, um, not entertaining. So for me, the mental difference is entertaining is I have this beautiful, you know, amazing gourmet meal and the tables are perfectly set and my house has been, you know, cleaned to the nines and, you know, and I've remembered to put on the lovely background music I've chosen. <sighs> I'm just not an entertainer. Like, you are welcome in my home. Preferably, please, bring your own food because I don't like to cook. Um, <laughs> so, um, but, you know, people, people just, we don't in our society. So, when we moved to Toowoomba, um, we didn't know, you know, we didn't really know anybody there and we wanted to make friends and... We, I think, so we we took six weeks of visiting different churches before we finally found one where they were nice to us. Um, and <laughs> no, but I don't think you existed then. So I think, <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> um, and we we just made an effort to have people over for meals. We were there... I can't remember if it was, it was coming up for a year before 
anybody else invited us over to their home. So I don't say that to... Could have been, you know, well, it was four kids at that point. No, it was three. It was only three, yeah. And so I just... I just really hit me in that year. I did did a lot of thinking and I just thought, Aussies don't do hospitality. We don't open up our homes very much except to the inner circle. You know, if you've got your close friends, you'll have them over for a barbie spontaneously and that's all great. But we're not very good about just, hey, I met somebody at church and whether they're new to the area or they're just new to your church saying... Look, you know, do you want to come over? Um, you might. So one of the couples in our church, an older couple, they were amazing. She would just be prepared to have people over. That she would just, whether it was family from the church, whether it was somebody who dropped in, you know, just visiting, moved to the town looking for a new church, whatever. She would just always have something going in the crock pot, you know, just spaghetti simmering away or whatever. So she could have however many people over. <laughs> Georgina. Wow. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So sometimes it means you being prepared and being able to kind of just be able to invite people on a whim or sometimes it means being persistent to work in around everybody's very busy schedules. And I find most people, when we have them over to our home, they're just they kind of go, this is lovely, you know, and it's not because of my cooking. Um, <laughs> they just, I think often people do live such a hectic pace of, you know, extracurricular activities with the kids and, you know, and even just going out to Bible study on a Wednesday night or something, it just becomes this other thing you've got to do and to actually, wow, these people wanted to have me over for a meal and we just sat and got acquainted and it's really, it's really nice. But it does take either preparation or persistence, I think, to do it. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Just before I take that other question, do you got any thoughts about, like, the people, you know... Now, kids, anything you'd suggest? I think it's all about uh, taking the initiative. So who is already in your life uh, that you have some acquaintance with that you could just take the extra step uh, and initiate with them, whether that's, again, saying hi over the fence as you come home um, or it's, you know, it's, it's your birthday. So have a birthday party, but invite the neighbours or the people from the units above and below you sort of thing in your unit complex. Um, it's, it's taking the initiative, praying and thinking about how can I connect with people? How can I put a bit of effort in to connect with people in, in my networks already um, and take it a bit deeper, take it a bit further? That's fantastic. That's yeah. it's great, Barbara, yeah. Yep. Be in the world. <laughs> yep. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Mm. That's right. Yeah, we need to make sure we're not living in this kind of Christian bubble, but being connected with people, whether that's through an interest, you know, back 
come in club or whatever, you know, or, or you know, if you've got work or something. Um, and then even I think sometimes, you know, say at work, thinking about what what's a way I can perhaps practice hospitality within this environment? Because for a lot of people, the kind of relationship they have at work, it would be too weird and freaky if you would invite me over for dinner. But what's a step between that? So maybe you're the person who tries to find out when everybody's birthday in the office is and you bring the cake. Um, so you just kind of become a little bit of a, you know, you're the connector, you're the, the glue that's getting people talking and stuff or, or that you're the one who says, you know, I don't know if you're in a work environment where people kind of tend to eat, you know, work through lunch and they're just eating, eating their lunch at their desk or something, you know, maybe suggesting, what about once a week? I know we, we all stop at and have lunch together because nobody likes to sort of just sit and eat lunch on their own. Well, some people do. But, you know, some people think, well, that's a bit, it's a bit weird. I may as well just keep working. But, it, oh, you actually want to talk with me? That's, that's a good reason to stop um, taking an interest in them. So thinking about, I guess, the principles of hospitality and how you can imply, um, apply that in your environment, that might be a bridging step to the scary step of them actually coming to your house. I think in the, in the workplace, if you're, try, if you're trying to connect with people that you work with, you have to get beyond the workplace to take relationships deep. The Australian workplace culture is such that it's okay to have acquaintances and to chat over the, um, you know, the, the coffee or the, uh, the water bubbler or, or whatever, but you don't go deep. Um, you usually don't take much time. Uh, and so to develop real relationship, you've got to go beyond the workplace. And so think about, well, how do I do that? Um, if, you, if the workplace doesn't have a culture already, can you establish something whereby, you know, Friday afternoons at the end of work, everybody heads out for a drink um, down at the local even? Um, uh, and you make that happen and you initiate the relationships and you... Uh, kind of ask people about their week and, and go a little bit deeper with people? Um, or are you the one who, who organises uh, a work squash club on a Wednesday night or whatever it is? Take an interest of yours um, or an interest you know is common in your workplace and build on that and, and find ways to connect with people and get them connecting with one another beyond the workplace. And that then is a halfway step to, hey, let's do a Christmas... Um, break-up party this year. How about you come over to my place for a barbecue? You know, two weeks before Christmas. Let's do that. That's fantastic, Adrian. Great story. Is there anybody else that wants to have a go at answering that question of how do we build those connections with people, even if you don't have kids? Just meet people where they're at. Yeah, connect with them. Mm-hmm. But it means showing an interest in people, doesn't it? And asking them about themselves, hearing their stories. Yeah, being friendly. Yeah. Yep. How do you guys feel well? We didn't do anything amazing. I will throw a thought in. I recently heard um, a talk by Greg Harris where he kind of talks about the stages and this particularly relates to a a man, um, but he talks about kind of thinking of life in 20-year periods and, and up until you're 20, that's your kind of learning and getting prepared, you know, you're doing your schooling 
The next 20 years are really about you establishing yourself in your career um, and your family. Uh, and yet that's usually the time in your 20s to 40s where everybody wants a piece of you, you know, and there's, there's all this ministry to be happening at the church and blah, 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 and, and you feel called to that, um, or at least pulled to it. Um, and and he, was, he was suggesting that that's really the time you do need to be focusing not that you won't ever do anything for the church or anything outside of, you know, your family, but that is really the time to be focusing on your family and, and establishing in your career. Then then the next 20 years is really about you. Um, that's kind of more the elder phase. That's the, that's the then I've got st- stuff to pour into other people. Um, and so I'm, I'm not saying, look, it's wrong to have, people who are in their 30s as elders in the church and you know different church settings are gonna are gonna need that but I think it means that we need to church worldwide I think needs to think through how do we do church how do we do ministry so that we're not pulling people away from families in those prime years where they really need to be pouring into their family um how do we do church so that um it is more family inclusive. Um, and so I, from some of the things I've heard, I think your church is, is trying to do some of that. It's just great. I, I really applaud that. And I think that was, if we did anything, and it was maybe, well, I don't know, we, tr- we tried as much as possible to get involved in stuff where we could be doing it as a family. And so... Uh, some of that has been about letting our kids lead the way in a sense. And so that's kind of some of what happened in our neighbourhood. Jonathan's just busy making friends with everybody. And so here's our open door. Let's, let's do that. Um, you know, if we're going to have a... Yep. Starting fresh. Oh, in the neighbourhood. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Sure, that's a great question. Once we start getting a, a ministry mindset, we do see a plethora of opportunities around us. Uh, there are more opportunities to be involved in ministry, particularly if you're in a smaller church, um, than you have time for. And so I think great wisdom is needed, and I think we need to hear from God about where he wants us to focus um, so I'd, in your situation, I would be, you probably already are, um, asking God, where do you want me to focus? Because I can't do this and that and the other at church and my um, workmates and my family and these other opportunities as well, different clubs. and You can't do it all. So where, God, do you want me to focus? Show me what's going to be most effective. Uh, I think that's a prayer that God loves to hear and to answer. Um, at the same time, I think family absolutely should be a high priority in that prayerful consideration. Uh, so Jesus said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. And I take that 
disciple-making command incredibly seriously. And in fact, that's a large part of my job, is to lead an organisation that's on about making disciples. But in fact, Samantha and I are highly, highly committed to the five young disciples that God has blessed us with in our kids. And we want to make sure that we do the best job of disciple-making with our kids. And that takes time. Uh, and that's, that's part of the, that's a lot of the, the reasoning why we do things like family devotions. Um, and, and we have homeschooled our kids uh, for a fair bit of their schooling. And, and Samantha builds in some devotional time in the word into school. Um, and so there, and we've, we've developed some habits like when each child has turned eight uh, they know that that's the time when they actually are given a, an adult Bible and they're expected to be reading it. Um, so we're helping our kids to form a, a, a habit of their own private devotions um, and we model that. So, you know, I'm, I'm having my times with God in the morning and the kids will come alongside and read their Bible and building those sorts of things in, taking up those discipling opportunities is incredibly important with your kids. Um, so, yeah, in, as you've just very briefly described your situation there, I, I think um, priority on family and discipling your kids uh, and then uh, your workmates, I think, is a, a, a really key opportunity that you seem to have. Um, so maybe they're the areas that God would, would perhaps have you focus, uh, which might mean a little less involvement in church-based stuff I don't know maybe uh, but certainly where where is each of our frontiers with those who are not in the kingdom yet and what would God have us do and invest time into to speak the kingdom into those people's lives let's look for those opportunities um, and and if there's lots of them let's pray for wisdom about where God would have us uh, invest and, and where can we be most fruitful don't know if that helps. Yeah, I'm just... I wish I had a magic wand to wave and just go, ping, problem solved. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> it, it, I think it's a, it's a perennial challenge that we'll face because, as Andrew said, there's always more opportunities out there. Um, oh, gosh, just lost my train of thought. Um, I do like the principle of get on board where God is working and so as you look around at the opportunities, where does it s seem like, not, not necessarily where it's easiest, because often, you know, ministry in the church is pretty easy, you know, because we've got a lot in common and stuff like that. Uh, but, but is God seeming to open up doors here? Uh, whether it's in church, whether it's with neighbours, whether it's with people at work, uh, because you can't do everything, and so. We, but where does where does it seem like yeah God is at work, uh, and it's hard sometimes to let go of an area where you think, oh, but these people you know they need Jesus or who's going to run the Sunday school? Well, that's God's business. Um, I remember Andrew coming home from a conference once and mentioning a, a speaker had said, you know. Um, in the word, God commands men 
love your wives. Okay. But he says, I will build my church. It was a pastor's conference and he was just making the point that, you know, often pastors neglect their marriages because there's so many calls on them in the church. Um, but they're not commanded to build the church. Jesus said, I will build my church, but they're commanded to love their wives. And so it can be hard to let go things where you're like, well, but what about my, you know, if I focus here, that means these people at, at work aren't getting from me. Or if I focus there, then this isn't happening. Th- that's God's doing. He's somehow big enough to, to sort all that out. So, yeah. Um, so for us, we, when we were engaged, I won a television in a competition uh, at the, uh, not the Brisbane show, the Ipswich show. And that television uh, we had for a number of years and it was kept in the cardboard box that it came in that had a little tablecloth over it and it basically served as a coffee table. And when we did want to watch television, we would have to open up the box and get it out and set it up. And then we made a habit that we would always put it away. And so we've never not had a television in our home, but um, television has never been the centrepiece of the lounge room like most Australian um, lounge rooms. And we watch, we watch very little te- – well, I watch no television. We, we have no habitual shows that our family watches and – that's why we read a lot of books and <laughs> why we have, you know, time. I mean, we, we feel stretched too. And I often look at other people who, you know, seem to spend hours on Facebook and then they've got their TV shows that they watch every week. And I'm just like, man, how do you manage? I'm, I can barely keep up with the emails <laughs> I get in and trying to, you know, get the washing done and the groceries. And um, so I, I think... It behooves us to examine our interaction with technology, including things like TV, you know, any kind of screen time. Is this actually productive? Is this actually serving the kingdom? So I'm not anti-technology. There is some awesome stuff that's being done to further the kingdom through technology. You know, the fact that I can have my phone playing, you know, one of John Piper's sermons while I'm brushing my teeth, you know, that's awesome. You know, what a great use of technology. But, you know... I also see even my own kids, you know, vegging out and wasting time watching a whole bunch of inane, you know, videos on on YouTube. And we can feel very busy, but just fritted away a lot of time. And especially for you younger ones who are growing up in the digital age. I mean, all the research is saying that the more connected this younger generation is, the less connected they feel. And so, you know, for you guys to really think through what does this mean? How do I make sure my friends actually have, you know, friends in real life? Um, because that's the kind of stuff that's going to transform, you know, help transform them. The, you know, especially in Australia, people come to Christ primarily through relationships still. It's, it's, it's community stuff. It's, mm. it's people stuff. It's time stuff. And so, yeah. you know, for you guys to be figuring out how do I do that that's that's going to be game changing in your generation because they need that and they they're not growing up with it so what we are both saying is it's intentionality okay a a speaker that samantha actually had our family listen to recently about screen time technology all that sort of stuff made the comment 
it's quite a strong comment, that when you give a young person a smartphone, think of it as giving that young person a loaded gun. It is a dangerous weapon, but it can also be a useful tool. And the difference between the two is how you use it. And be intentional. Think about how do I use this well? And how do I not let it suck me in to wasting time and using it badly? So put some thought into it, put some boundaries around it, uh, cre get the tools that are going to, you know, the apps and that sort of stuff that are going to enable it to be a tool for expanding the kingdom and get rid of all the other junk. I think I'm privileged to be married to somebody who is both very intentional, passionate about God and passionate about her own growth and other people's growth whether that's our kids or our neighbours or whoever. So Samantha is somebody who's naturally, I'm not sure, but very intentional, thinks about why do we do this? Why don't we do that? Uh, and, and what's the purpose behind this activity or that activity? And um, kind of how can we how can we move into, engage in people's lives? How do we create opportunities to talk about Jesus? So... Um, I've had a bit of an easy ride in that in some ways by being married to this wonderful lady. Um, I think some of it is uh, during our university years, we were both involved in student life as it was back then and discipled by some godly, godly mentors who modelled this sort of intentionality and mission-mindedness, um, some of whom had kids uh, and, and we were just struck by this wonder of Christian family and what that can look like and how God can work through that to glorify his name and honour his name and build his kingdom. And so we, we had that kind of imprinted on us as uh, even before we started dating, let alone getting married and having our own kids. So um, that was really key. I think from the people we saw ahead of us, we had a, a picture but we didn't have the plan, the pathway. And for me, that's probably primarily come through reading. I've read a, a jolly lot of Christian books on parenting, um, even some non-Christian ones, um, also in recent years. And yeah, that's probably the primary way I've yeah come across ideas of things to do. And I, oh, I like that. And I'll do it the same or I'll tweak it or... Um, I think just... And yeah, probably that other thing is just trying to think through... These are our... You know, these are our key disciples. And so just continuing to ask the question about where, where are they at what, and what's the next step for them. Um, so... I guess, you know, period, at least once a year, but, you know, possibly a couple of times through the year, I'm just sort of thinking, or I'm noticing things, and I might say to Andrew, you know, I think you need to have a chat to this one about this, or I think, you know, this child's ready for, you know, something else a bit. Um, <coughs> we, we went camping over Easter, just before Easter, and um, we ended up doing a walk with just one of our, uh, one of our boys, and... We kind of said beforehand, look, I think we need to talk to him about, you know, getting into the word a bit more and, and talking about that. And so we just made the op most of that opportunity to, to have that conversation with him while it was just, just us and him. 
So, um, but yeah, lots of, probably mostly lots of reading. So, I can tell you later my favourite books or <laughs> authors to, yeah, learn from. You want us to pray? Yeah, let's, uh, let's finish up by praying, shall we? Thank you so much for wonderful questions. That's, that's been really stimulating. It's great. Um, <laughs> Father God, thank you again so much for intersecting each one of our lives and drawing us into your kingdom. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, revealing to us our need of you and drawing us to realize uh, that you are our saviour, that we can have eternal life, that we can live with you in heaven for eternity and enjoy eternal life from now. A quality of life that's just so different from the way the world lives. Jesus, thank you for inviting us on this journey, uh, adventure of the Great Commission during our life on this earth. I pray that you would inspire each of us, that you would uh, teach us, that you would grow us and develop us, mould us to be more and more like you in our attitudes and our character and equip us and train us in how to connect with the people that you bring into our lives. Thank you for um, some great ideas shared uh, around the room today. God, I pray that you would um, kind of just bed down in our spirits that the ones that you want us to take up, uh, help us to ponder them more and think about how they apply to our lives. I pray that you would reveal to us, each one of us, how you want to work through us to speak out the kingdom to people around us and to point the way for them to come into the kingdom and to enjoy that quality of life, eternal life, full of purpose and joy walking with you. All for your glory and the honour of your name. Amen.